Sometime in the 1890s, a young, tall, deeply handsome, light-skinned African-American woman with her mother left the Jim Crow South of her upbringing and settled in New York City. She quickly became a sought-after artist model. Her form, represented in statuary and coins, created by the most accomplished sculptors of the time, reflected the image of the American Gilded Age. Victorious, perfect, strong, pure idolizations of the human form for a country in which some had become ridiculously rich during the Industrial Revolution and most had fallen into poverty. I am Rebecca McCain, joined by my co-host Alan Winson, and this is Bar Crawl Radio. Today we are at Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, across the street from the mortuary and just west and north of the most magnificent golden statue honoring William Tecumseh Sherman on horseback in Manhattan's Grand Army Plaza. But we are not interested in the general. Today we are talking with Eve Kahn and Willow Higgins about the figure striding ahead of the general, the Greek goddess Victory, and the black woman who was the model for that figure and who in many ways represents the artistic goals of the Gilded Age. Hetty Anderson. And with that bit of an intro, here we go. Eve Kahn was the antiques columnist for the New York Times from 2008 to 2016 and has written hundreds of articles for many prestigious publications. Her book on the artist Mary Rogers Williams was published in 2019, and I just learned she's working on a new book, and the draft title is Queen of Bohemia Predicts Own Death, The Forgotten Journalist Zoe Anderson Norris, 1860-1914. Okay, that's the draft title. Maybe we'll shorten it a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) And joining us on Zoom from Detroit, we are honored to have Willow Hagens, who... Since the 1980s, with her late husband Bill, has been researching the woman known to her family as Cousin Tootie. Willow owns the only known bust of Hetty Anderson by Augustus St. Gaudens. All right, there we go. <laughs> Got through that. Okay, so good to have you both uh, on thank Bar you. Crawl Radio. Yes, thank you. Uh, we are looking forward to learning about this amazing figure in American art, of which so little is known. Eve. How did you become interested in Hetty Anderson? So in the fall of 2020, one of the first exhibitions that I got back into post-COVID was uh, the Met's 150th anniversary show. And um, in a gallery devoted to their acquisitions from around 1900, they had a gorgeous three-foot-tall reduced scale allegorical figure of victory by Augustus St. Gaudens. It's the victory figure in front of the Sherman Monument in front of the Plaza Hotel. And we will be talking more about that monument. Right. So she's the, the figure at the Met is the reduced scale version. It's about three feet tall. And I read the caption. And it said that the woman who posed, Hetty Anderson, had posed for a number of New York artists around 1900. Um, She was African-American, and she had later worked at the Met. And my eyes stung for a moment because I realized that she could have been standing where I was standing, looking at a smaller version of herself covered in gold. And I went home and tried to research her, and there were a lot of um, unfootnoted 
uh, speculation-filled articles about her that were recent, and the only good scholarship that had ever been done about her was done about 20 years ago by Willow and her late husband, Bill. So Augusta St. Gaudens, his home is, and studio are beautifully preserved in Cornish, New Hampshire. I called the curator there, and they connected me to Willow. And we've been on an amazing research journey ever since the fall of 2020. Right, and we're, and we're going we're gonna to learn soon about Willow's connection to Hetty Anderson, a very, a very close connection, she and her, her late husband, right? Her physical figure is well represented in the art of the Gilded Age of America. Uh, what are some examples of where her figure can be seen? She's victory in front of the Sherman Monument. She is civic fame on top of the, uh, the David Dinkins Municipal Building in Lower Manhattan. She, is, um, she appears in a number of works by Daniel Chester French, including an allegorical figure of a woman sculptor on the grounds of the St. Louis Art Museum. Uh, one of the panels on the uh, front doors um, in bronze of the Boston Public Library. Unbelievably beautiful angel in a cemetery in rural northwest New Jersey. And um, a gorgeous figure called Mourning Victory, which is in a cemetery in uh, Concord, Mass. It's a Civil War memorial, and there's a white marble version of it in, um, at the Met Museum. And then there's the $20 the, gold piece. And the $20 gold piece I left out by Augustus St. Gaudens, which Teddy Roosevelt considered um, a, put American coinage on of equal, if not superior, caliber to its ancient precedence. Yeah, and there's a, a dramatic storm coming through, storm coming through which is right. Right. kind of um, adds to the drama of the story. And then there's this gorgeous, unbearably beautiful bust by Augustus St. Gaudens. Um, that depicts Hetty Anderson, and it is inscribed to Hetty Anderson on its neck, and it is signed, and it is in the home of Willow Hagen's in Detroit. Yes. And, and for our listeners, Daniel Chester French is the sculptor who did the Lincoln Memorial as well. The two most important things, and the two most important things that St. Gaudens uh, would say are, are, I mean, he was in love. He would get on his knees and adore the Sherman Monument. That and the $20 gold piece are, I believe, the two most extraordinary pieces in his career. I was at the Sherman Monument yesterday, and um, it was the first time I actually spent like about a half hour like looking at it, really looking at it. And you, you Eve, have talked about that, about going down there and looking at it and saying hello to Hetty. What is your experience when you go down to the Sherman Monument? Well, since I've been in touch with Willow Hagen's, um, now I greet her on, in, on, in honor of um, the Hagen's and Wallace and Lee and the other relatives. I greet her on behalf of Willow. I say hello to Cousin Tootie on Willow's behalf. Um, I also, I love to watch how many people um, take selfies at her feet. They don't care about Sherman on horseback. They don't know who he is. They don't know who Hetty is, but they love the charisma of her figure. You never see anyone taking a selfie such that the figure on horseback is visible. You only ever see people either getting photographed or taking selfies with the glorious figure of victory behind them. That's the art of that monument. If there's any art to that monument, it's not Sherman. It's pouring rain here. It's interesting, I can hear the rain, but with regard to the Sherman, it was in terrible, terrible, terrible condition. And of all people who looked at it every day, it was one of the Mrs. Trumps, I think, was it Ivanka, that had the, the entire Sherman Monument regilded, which sort of set off a, a maelstrom of it's way too bright, 
Uh, it's uncharacteristic of the of the work. And someone said, I don't know what all the hullabaloo was like, because in a year, it won't be golden. It will be it will be much more subtle. You know, but we're, we have we're, we're Mrs. Getting... Trump who is living in the Plaza Hotel, looking at it every day, thinking, I don't want to look at her that way. She needs to be better. Uh, Will Willow, I've, we've never done this podcast with this kind of noise around us. Uh, yeah, the rain. The yeah. rain is horrendous. I think what we have yeah, to do I is take a little break and, and get, in fact, get in this fact, door it's also closed. Hailing. And um, the hail's so coming down. So just hang tight. I'm going to get this door closed. Right, hang on one second. Shall we Willow. do this in a, another time? No, it'll be. They're just going to close the windows. And, and we're going to close the windows. Let, let me check the bar. Maybe we can okay. move inside the bar. Ooh. I'm not even sure I want to sit out here with the thunder like that. I mean, it's hailing. Oh it's hailing. Can you hang with us for about 15 minutes? Can you see if we can get it reset? reset up? I've never seen hail like this come down in the city. Kenny doesn't want us to, to do a podcast about Tootie, her. I'm telling you, Eve. Yeah. She doesn't like hearsay. She doesn't uh, like drama. She mm-hmm. doesn't like things that are not documented. Yeah. There's a reason she's in the bedroom. No, I know. I know, I know. She doesn't like errors. She doesn't like speculation. No, I know. So, Hetty, um, we will do the best we can to present the best, most accurate story of your life as we know it, because we don't know a lot. Okay, now we have just uh, relocated, and we're now inside um, Gebhardt's Beer Culture Bar. It's the first time we actually have done this, not on the porch of Gebhardt's. Uh, the storm was raging outside. There was hail, wind, I, the lightning was like right over us. And as soon as we decided to move inside, the sun has come out. <laughs> but we're not moving again. That's it. Okay. No, 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 no more moving. Th- thank you, Eve, and thank you, um, Willow, for uh, for working with us sure. on, on on this. Um, and again, apologies to uh, Hetty if, in fact, this is not what what you want. But we want we want to learn more about you. So, so we we left. We were well, first of all. You we were wouldn't in, be okay. calling her Hetty. We'd be calling her Tootie. Tootie. Okay. Tootie. Okay. Can can we call her Tootie? Yeah, absolutely. All right, okay, Tootie. Okay. So I have a question. I'm curious. Was she paid well for that work? We have nothing to document what she was paid for as a model. What we do know is that she only modeled for people that she wanted to, and she was known as St. Gaudens' model. So if anybody else wanted her, they had to go through St. Gaudens. And, and Eve, do you have any other information about... So we have that one ledger book from John Lafarge. Which, which lists paintings in the 15 and $20 range, which was a lot of money at that time. Um, we but also, it's such a small part of her career. Right, right. We also have some documentation that at one point, um, the artist Daniel Chester French was raising money for her, um, that she, there were, she, was, she had fallen into hard times briefly. And also we know that she had an, a substantial estate at the end of her life. She lived a very comfortable life. She lived in her entire life with her mother. She died a wealthy woman. She picked and chose the people that she worked for. 
I believe, led a very comfortable life, more than comfortable. She died a very wealthy woman. Tutia, I think, was a little bit of an anomaly with, with regard to being an artist model, because she did have the status of being St. Gaudens model. Other artists had to go through her to get to get to go through him to get to her she could pick and choose what she wanted to do she could pick and choose when she wanted to work she continuously as i say lived with her mother and worked as a seamstress her life was i think her life was pretty much ordered the way that she wanted it she didn't want a flamboyant life why don't we go back uh, early in her life and learn about tooties um where she was brought up and uh, how did your late husband william learned that he was uh, in fact related to Hetty Anderson. That, that's how this all started. But let me say one thing about Eve. Um, I got an, ever so many inquiries from a number of people about wanting to do work about Cousin Tootie. I said no to more people than I can, can even count on two hands. It wasn't until even I had a really good discussion and understanding about what we wanted to do that I agreed to work with Eve, and Eve and I have been on a merry little trace for this last year. So let me bring you to the first, the very first mention of Cousin Tootie, and that was uh, Bill's grandmother that was called Mama Jean. Bill said that he is always terrified with Mama Jean because she was a statuesque woman, uh, even in her, her older, really older years. She was... Um, she was she was a substantial woman. She had these huge braids on her hair, and she was a tall woman, statuesque. And I could see as a kid, I'd be terrified of her, too. She was standing in the townhouse across the street from me, a Mies van der Rohe townhouse. Bill and I were getting ready to go into New York. And Mama Jean said, oh, say hello to Cousin Tootie. So I said, who's, who's Cousin Tootie? And then she went on to explain, and I said, hold it. And I called Bill, I think who was changing the light bulb probably. I said, I think you need to come in here and, and hear the story. So I asked Mama Jean to describe who Cousin Tootie was. That's how it all began. So we went into New York, I think within a few days, and we were standing next to Cousin Tootie. Do you want to describe that gorgeous family tree that Mama Jean created, the sheet after sheet after sheet with all these amazing people oh, on it? It's, it's one huge piece of paper. Um, the difficulty that I'm having is getting a surface large enough so I can make a copy to, to send to Eve. Uh, it really must be three feet. It must be a good two feet long. And Bill's mother had completed the, uh, with Mama Jean, the entire maternal side as much as she had. And then over the years, my husband and I filled in the complete portion of Bill's paternal side. In all, it's been a very, very interesting, interesting, interesting legacy, I would say. Is that a good word, Eve? Yes. Uh, Willow, um, it's a very interesting family, but they did not talk about Tootie very much at the time uh, because she yeah, was a uh, model, is that right? When I'm asking Mama Jean about, you know, Tootie, who was she? And she said, well, you know, we don't talk very much about her in the family. And I said, really, why not? Well, you know, she was a model and she was taking her clothes off. And at that time, women didn't take their clothes off and model. And I said, oh, well, okay. So no, there wasn't a lot of discussion about what she was doing in that regard. Right. 
And, and uh, uh, Tootie's mother, Caroline, can you talk about her? Well, she was a seamstress, um, and she and Tootie lived together all these years in the same place. Um, I think she was probably pretty purposeful and very, you know, very purposeful and very quiet and uh, had probably a pretty prescribed life. I think there was a pretty harmonious household there. There's a story, and, and please, Eve, if you have a question for, for uh, Willow, please go right ahead. There is a story that I read in uh, getting ready for this conversation that Caroline was a woman of some wealth because she had bought several houses in, uh, in Columbia, South Carolina on a block. Yes, is that, that true? That, that is true. Where, where did her that wealth come from? I suspect that that, I mean, this, again, has always been a family that has been very self-sufficient, more than self-sufficient. Uh, they were they were uh, free people of color initially, which mean that they, which meant that they could own property, uh, and they did on both sides of my husband's family. I had never um, heard I've never heard that term free people of, free color, people of color in in the South before the, the South, Civil right. War. I mean, yeah. that, 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 before the Civil War, it was a distinct category. It's very disturbing. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. It made all the difference yeah. in the world. At one yeah. point, the family was probably freed. So, yeah. as I understand it, Caroline's parents, Henry and Eliza Lee, would have been the, both of them, the children of probably a white slave owner and a formerly enslaved woman, because... But, yeah. we, but Eve, we don't know that. No, we don't know that. We, we do don't know, know that, and I don't want to suppose that we know that. Right. But we do know that they were born free, which meant that yes. their mothers were unquestionably free. And yes. free people of color, it's a category that you see in these dry documents before the Civil War with these terms that they're categorizing people. And um, at least in my case, it makes me want to put my head down next to my laptop and cry because you realize the brutality of the bureaucracy of the system. And yet the family did well. They were educated. Uh, they were family business did people. Very well. um, yeah, I mean, they, they, had, they had property. I mean, this yep. is a story that we have not heard in, in, uh, in our history classes in this country. Okay. Yeah. Mama, Jean, Mama Jean was married to two doctors, one of whom was the head of the Tuskegee Hospital in Tuskegee, Alabama. Well, well. Let, let's get back to Tootie and her mother, mm -hmm. Caroline. They left Columbia um, at the turn of the last century, I guess, about, and they moved to New York City. Why did they leave uh, their, their hometown? I suspect they wanted to get out of the South. Because of Jim Crow? Yeah. I don't think the family sat around and talked about uh, Jim Crow specifically, but there, I think they felt enough pressure that they, they had the means to move and they were going to go north. Right. But they, but she, Tootie, went with her mother. Her mother went with Tootie. Yes. They were together, and they were together their entire life. Yes. What was that relationship? Do we have any information about that? All I know from Mama Jean is that it was a very, her word was harmonious. And then they, they um, moved, uh, Tootie and her mother Caroline, moved to an apartment on the Upper West Side, I on think Amsterdam 698 Amsterdam Avenue. I'm going to go visit it pretty yep, soon. Uh, and Still they, there. they lived there. Their whole lives. What's, yes, they did. What street was it? 
94th and Amsterdam. 94th and Amsterdam. It's right, right around the block from where we are right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very close. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the street that you're trying to be renamed. Yes, I, yes. I'm hoping to have the block of 94th between Amsterdam and Broadway named Hetty Anderson Way. That is my goal. Not Tootie Way. Not Tootie Way. No, sorry. Sorry. Unless Willow wants me to have it named Tootie Way. I'm not sure I could get it's that. The one, it's the one exception that I'll acknowledge. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. I mean, I'm hearing the strength of, of this woman here, Willow, uh, that seems to reflect the strength of Tootie. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're not the same, but I, I hear it. I'm very protective of Tootie, and I'm very protective of making up a story that is romanticized or that someone thinks should be some way or, or fills in a blank and there's no documentation. I'm enormously protective. I think the whole family has been protective of her. Thank you, and we appreciate that. One more question I have, and I'm going to turn it over to, to Rebecca. Why did she change her name from Dickerson to Anderson. Do you have any do you have any thoughts on you that? You know, I wish I knew. I don't know why she chose Anderson. I would love to know. And if I find out that there's a Swedish connection, I would be overjoyed. Interesting. A Swedish connection, which might go back to the artist Zorn, uh, which we haven't even <laughs> talked about. I don't know if we can be able to get to to Anders Zorn. But uh, let's Anders, go. Okay. Anders Zorn. How did Hetty get involved, or how did Tootie get involved with the New York City art scene at the turn of the last century? Do you know? At the, at the, art, center at the art Center, the Students League. Did it happen quickly after moving to the city with her mother? I don't think anything happened quickly with that family. I think things were very deliberate. Well, why was she attracted uh, to the Art League? What, what, what led her there? I think that she probably was interested in art, and I think she probably you know, found herself in a scene that was very interesting, and then ultimately people found her interesting, and then Augusta St. Gaudens found her interesting, and on the day that Anders Zorn was in his studio and working all day on the Sherman Monument, he found her interesting. Hey, Willow, can I ask uh, you a question? Sure. Do you think that her interest in art and, and you know, public monuments had anything to do with the fact that she had relatives who were builders or not? I don't think so. They, I mean, they were builders. I don't know that Trudy would have been interested in building the actual building, bricks and mortar. She might have been interested in architecture. Yeah, and also the Columbia, South Carolina, when she was a kid, was rebuilding. It wasn't just yeah. reconstruction, the political movement. It was reconstruction, literal reconstruction, because when Sherman's yeah. forces came in, the town, vast swaths of the town were destroyed. Um, a fire broke out, which has been attributed to 10 different causes. But she would have seen the city rising from the ashes when she was a little yep. kid. Interesting, then, that she would be the, the model for that statue, because I don't think, even as a northerner, uh, that I'm very proud of what Sherman did in the South. Oh, God, there's a, side, there's a classic sidebar that, that I, I, I should share with you. We found ourselves in Toulouse at a St. Gaudens exhibition, and we lent the bust of Cousin Tootie. And my condition with the loan was that the two Zorn etchings go with it. And they did. And the uh, ambassador from the U.S. to France at the time was Felix, whose name I can never pronounce, bailed out in New York City, yes. But his wife was a Southern woman. So I'm seated next to her 
at, at this formal dinner after the opening of the exhibition, and I said, isn't it wonderful that the bus could be here and that, you know, the Sherman Monument? And she looked at me and said, we don't cotton very much to General Sherman, where I come from. And I thought, okay, that ended that conversation. <laughs> That's and, a good and, one. And I think we need a little little sidebar also on, on, on Anders Zorn, who had uh, done an etching of uh, St. Gordon's and uh, Tootie, um, and she was in the background nude, probably, and uh, because she was modeling for him. And the modeling, they always modeled in the nude, and then the dress was put on afterwards. So before we talk about the work that Hetty Anderson did, can you, do you have a sense, or can you give us a sense, or maybe Eve, you can, of the scene in New York City and elsewhere in the United States at that time, the art scene? Oh my gosh, it was the Gilded Age. People wanted their portraits painted, works were being commissioned. Even I both know there was, it was a bevy of, it was a beehive of activity. Can we describe for our listeners who don't know about the Gilded Age, what sort of art was desirable by these very wealthy robber barons for their new estates? So there was an enormous effort on behalf of American plutocrats to um, to compete or to resemble their European counterparts. And so they often um, commissioned vast neoclassical mansions in imitation of, for example, 18th century British precedents, Roman precedents. Um, the trick was to look as rooted as possible, despite the fact that you had just made your money yesterday on rail lines or steel. And for someone like Hetty Anderson, cousin Tootie, who could pose as a goddess, there was a huge demand in these neoclassical mansions for both murals and statues and um, depicting goddesses and also countless um, Civic monuments were going up in a similar, similar neoclassical style, and also countless uh, war memorials for the dead of the Civil War in neoclassical fashion. And, and Cousin Tootie seemed to fit the, um, the requirement that the artists were looking for at that time, this classic Greek look, whatever that was. If you go out and see the Sherman statue, I think you'll see what, what they were seeing. Can we get a sense now of what cousin Tootie look like, how she oh, presented herself. Is there any way that um, we can get that? Yeah, I mean, um, Aunt Eve, what you should do is provide Alan the description that St. Gaudens gives of cousin Tootie. He talks about the ability to hold a pose for ever so long, and that she must have been the, the most beautiful, long-legged um, gal from the South that uh, had ever modeled for him. I modeled the nude for the figure of victory of the Sherman group from certainly the handsomest model I've ever seen of either sex, and I've seen a great many. The original plaster model was destroyed in the fire in 1904. The model was a young woman, dark, long-legged, which is not common with women and which, if not exaggerated, is an essential requirement for beauty. Besides, she had what is also rare with handsome models, a power of posing patiently, steadily, and thoroughly in the spirit one wishes. She could be depended on, so much so that Lafarge has virtually taken her by the year in order that he may have her when necessity requires. 
Having seen her the other day for the first time in eight years, I found her just as splendid as she was 15 years ago when she was first drawn to my attention. Eve, you, you, you're a, um, a person who writes about an antiquity uh, and about the Gilded Age. Do you have any sense of the importance of the right model for the artist? What was Augustus looking for? So he, at one point, would wrote to a friend, I need her badly, when he was turning the image of victory from the Sherman Monument into an image of liberty on the $20 gold coin. A good model was everything. A good model in that day was priceless. Um, charisma, patience, uh, availability. How, lo uh, how long would a model stand or sit uh, for, for a sculptor? Oh, it would have I been. Think, I, I think that that would have had to be negotiated between the artist and uh, and the model. Yeah. Um, I know with St. Gaudens, she she could go extraordinary long periods of time, and was willing to do that, and he was very grateful. Long periods of time probably was multiple hours. And I, I when I went out to see the Sherman, I mean, you see her stepping forward in an unbalanced way with her arm outstretched and her other arm held up, that's, you need enormous strength to hold that. <laughs> I mean, she must have been well, a very yes, strong woman. So um, you already mentioned this, and we have a question. Uh, late in his life, uh, Augustus St. Gaudens gave Hetty a plaster bust of her head used to create the Sherman statue. Uh, Willer, can you tell us the story of that, of the plaster bust of Hetty and the sculptor's son, Homer? You made reference to the plaster bust. The plaster bust was destroyed in a fire in, at the Cornish studio of St. Gaudens. The one that, that is at issue with Homer St. Gaudens is the one that I have. It's a bronze piece. It's inscribed to, to Cousin Tootie from St. Gaudens. And Homer St. Gaudens, St. Gaudens' son, asked for the loan of it. And Hetty wrote, uh, Tootie wrote back, and there's a copy of it in the book, the letter, that the bottom line, for no purposes ever, would she loan this because at, when Mr. St. Gaudens gave it to her, one day it would be worth a great deal of money being the only one of its kind. Well, when Homer St. Gaudens didn't get his way, he, he and his mother had this little temper tantrum, and they wrote out any reference to Cousin Tootie in the book called The Reminiscences of an Idiot. Did I get that right, Eve? I'm... When Augustus St. Gaudens died, there was a draft of his autobiography, which Homer then turned in, into a published autobiography. And when, he, when Homer published it, he erased any mention of Hetty Anderson as having been um, Augustus St. Gaudens' model. Okay, but as I'm speaking now for my listeners, um, that is what... Homer named the the, bi auto, the biography. Um, no. St. Gaudens called his autobiography. I think it's reminisce. Rem his, when in his draft, it was called something like "Reminiscences of an Idiot," referring to himself. Referring to oh, himself. In a, yes. In a humorous yes. way. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So Willow, you and your husband bought that bust from Christie <laughs> a, a Christie's auction, right? Yep. Yes. What, can you tell us why it's important for you to own that and and what it means oh my God. to you? It's everything. For, for one thing, the minute we learned that the bus was out there, we were determined, talk about passion, we were determined to get that bus, to find it. 
And it was a running joke in the house. I'd say to Bill, stop worrying about it. I'm going to find Cousin Tootie, and she's going to be at a garage sale, or she's going to be you know, in a boot sale somewhere. And I'm, at, I'm at, still at work at this point, and I got a call from, the, from John Dreyfout, the superintendent of the St. Gordon site, and he said, sweetie, we found the old girl. Go to your, go to your fax machine. So I went to the fax machine, and I'm watching the fax machine. It's like being in a birthing center. Out comes the head, and I'm going, oh, my God. So I go back, and I said, so what's the deal? And he said, well, I sent my fellows down from, from Cornish, um, and it's the real thing. These idiots at Christie's thought it was Spelter and get, didn't give it the time of day. So that was our good fortune, because if it would have been in their minds— as it was, the only copy of the bust of St. Gaudens given to Tootie, we would have never been able to afford it. Uh, there were two other pieces that went to auction that day, and the seller was most unhappy that he didn't get the realized price that he wanted specifically for the bust because Christie's didn't do their homework. Can we ask how much you paid for it or not? No, you cannot. Okay. Okay, we'll cut that out. <laughs> but it was something you could afford. That's good. We're happy Clearly. for that. We're happy for yes. you. Yes, uh, and all I can tell you is we were very grateful, and they, we were very grateful that they were stupid. <laughs> That's great. That they were idiots. And we're very idiots, happy Idiots, yes. <laughs> yes. And then when, when, when we bid on it and got it, um, well... It was, it was extraordinary because I called to make arrangements for Christie's to ship it, and this poor soul in the in the basement, I think, of Christie's, started off with, I said, we're so excited, we're bringing a member of our family home, we're just so excited, and this voice said, that's, that's refreshing to know because usually I deal with gluttonous, gluttonous pigs that just want to collect, and 24 hours later, I came home from work, 24, there's a, there's a custom-made wooden box in the middle of my living room, and it says Christie's, and I'm, you know, Bill isn't even home at this point, and I'm thinking, oh my God, Cousin Tootie is here. So when he came in, I was sitting there, and he said, what's going on? I said, well, um, I think you better come into the living room. This is the same thing I said when Mama Jean was telling the story about Wave to Cousin Tootie. Uh, so here we were, and yes, we took it out, and there was this nice letter from this man who made the crate, who didn't charge us postage, let alone overnight delivery, wow. because it was human. It was a, a piece of humanity and a piece of art, and he was thrilled to be part of part of a real story that had purpose and value other than monetary value. And it was. It was like we were. We we cracked open. I think three or four bottles of champagne that night. My goodness! Did Christie's ever realize what they had done? I have no idea. I think they would never admit to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I probably have to be very careful that I'm not accused of slander. Oh, okay, that. I have a, one last question for you. What do we know about the end of Hattie's of Tootie's life? At the end of Tootie's life, she physically wasn't very well. And she also had had some, some pretty traumatic things happen in her life. One of them was the loss of a long-term romantic partner in her life. 
and there's a rumor that uh, she witnessed him being killed by a trolley. And even I have, especially Eve, has, has tried to research which trolley, who could it have been. We don't know. But when that happened, she seemed to sort of not quite lose her mind, but she certainly wasn't the same. She was hard hit by this. She remained with her mother. Um, there were people that were pressing for her to get psychiatric treatment, including electric shock treatments and treatment at a psychiatric hospital. And Tootie refused. Um, her mother refused, thank God. Um, Tootie also, people were wanted to give her money. And Tootie said, no, she didn't need the money and she wouldn't accept it. So the end of her life, um, she was a wealthy woman. She remained with her mother. But I don't think she ever recovered from the loss of that person that, that she loved. Interesting. And we don't know anything about it, which brings it to my question to Eve. You're a researcher, Eve M. Khan, and you're, you picked up this, um, this rock to look at uh, and, and uncover what's going on. But Tootie was a very private person. She did not give interviews. She didn't, right. she didn't present herself out there as the other models of the time did in sometimes scandalous ways, and that's a whole other story. Uh, this must make your job difficult as a researcher. Oh, oh, there's nothing worse than researching somebody who um, was, uh, uh, f uh, f you know, flaunting themselves, yeah. right? No, I, I kind of love the fact that Tootie made it so hard for me to research her. Right. Oh, that's part of the whole great story is that she stayed out of the limelight when so many of her colleagues had lost control of their story and were portrayed horribly in the press. She stayed out of the limelight. She copyrighted her bust. She must be the only model of her time who had the nerve to do that. When asked by the artist's family, can we make replicas of this for sale? She said, as Willow has said, absolutely not. She kept control of her own image. And she, she kept control of her life, her entire life. And toward the end, there was a lot of pressure for her to do things that she didn't want to do. And she never lost control. She was very purposeful. Kim, I, I, I think it's fair to say that, don't you, Eve? Absolutely. Eve, as a researcher, not knowing as much as you want to know, what is, and think about this, what is one question you want answered above all else? What is the key question that you have about Cousin Tootie? Where did Eve, she... There are two. Yes. Eve, there are two. There are two, okay. There are two. Okay, what, so, so what, what are your questions, uh, Willow? I want to know where Anderson came from. Uh, okay, there's one. And then I want to know, I want to know about the love of her life. The one who was killed and she went yes. bonkers there, yeah. And Eve, your question. Oh no, my question is, uh, I definitely want to know, where did she come up with Anderson? There, it's not a family name. And right. so maybe that was the love of her life. I, she was using it by the time she moved to New York in the 1890s. And you think and that would that would reveal other information about what's going on? It would, might. It know. might. It might. Yeah. Is it, it possible might. that she married Mr. Anderson? No. She was no. listed no. as single. She was listed no, as single no. throughout she her life. She was always listed and, as single. And many, many divorced women um, described themselves as widowed. Right. Um, there, 
there's so much more to this story because we didn't talk about her brother Charles, who tried, who passed his wife. She did not. Um, I mean, Trudy there's a never lot more. passed his wife. No, no. no. And and even what way should contemporary art critics and historians be interested in Hetty Anderson as a model who worked with a few great artists or as a successful black model in the Jim Crow era? She's incredibly important as an African-American who um, led a dignified, prosperous career in New York. Um, and as, as we've said, she stayed, she kept control of her life, she kept control of her image. Um, it's just an incredibly rare story. But isn't it, isn't it equally interesting that she's known as a model first and her color second? Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. never been any big secret about her, her color. Right. Right. Is there anything you would like to say, Eve or Willow, about Cousin Tootie? Uh, and this amazing life that we know so little about. I love podcasts. My daughter is a podcaster, but yep. the frustrations of not being able to show you pictures, dear listener, I wish I could show you so many pictures of Cousin Judy in her prime. And where can we go online to get those pictures? Um, let's see. Numismatic News has a glorious long article about oh, her. This, it's a glorious it's article. It's a glorious it's article. November 9th. Mm -hmm. And um, my and I've written about her for the magazine Antiques. Or if, if anyone's curious, evemcon at gmail.com, and I'll send them numerous links. And I have a sense there's going to be more coming out on on uh, Cousin Tootie. Hedy, I hope Hedy so. Right. I hope so. Right. Yeah. Um, something I know I don't know about Eve. No, no, no. I've told. I tell you everything, Willow. Okay. Thank you very much, both for for uh, for this for this conversation. Sorry Stop about laughing, the storm. <laughs> Say uh, hi to Carson. Th for this me. was most interesting. Thank yeah. you. Thank, yeah, you, thank you, Carson. For thank not you, Carson, for not barking. Okay. Nice and, seeing and, you and, all. And Willow, when you're in the city, we owe you we owe you a beer. Yes, we owe you a beer. Okay. All right. Or, all right. Or something, uh, that, uh, something else that you would like better. But thanks to Eve Kahn and Willow Higgins for a most interesting conversation about the artist model whom St. Gaudens described as the handsomest model he had ever seen. Yesterday, I went out to see the golden statue at the southeast corner of Central Park, uh, the one with General William Tecumseh Sherman on a gold horse looking realistic, all decked out holding his hat to his side. But if this statue is artful in any way, it's not Sherman. The emotionality exudes from the figure in front, the winged goddess of victory leading this tired man into the future, stepping forward with an outstretched hand as if blessing that which is to come. She has stood there looking south down Fifth Avenue for over a century, and one can imagine the changes that have gone on around her. You are listening to Bar Crawl Radio Podcast. We talk to interesting people in neighborhood bars every chance we get. Any questions or responses, contact Alan or me, Rebecca, at barcrawlradio at gmail.com.